Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the copywriter Twitter accounts to my non-copywriter Twitter account. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? You don't sound 100%. No, I'm I'm poorly. I'm not very well. Uh, it's, it's not the it's big a C, cold. is it? No, it's not the big C. It's not COVID. It's, it's the, the minor C, shall we say, cold. I think it's a uh. cold. I feel absolutely terrible. I've not had a cold for about two and a half years, so this is this is right kicking the good. This not very nice. Is it, is it the weather? Is it the poor weather we've had recently? To be fair, I think it was like last weekend. I went to the Peak District and then played football, and I was pretty much in the rain for about three or four days. So mm-hmm. I think it's something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, that will do it, Justin. That will do it. But hopefully Mm -hmm. you'll feel better soon. Um, And this is definitely going to be a wonderful podcast for anyone who has to listen to you (laughs) sniffle down their ears for the next hour or so. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We've got a massive round of games for midweek. So many twists and turns from the results that we've had from the 11 games this week. Weirdly, eight of them finished 2-1. Make of that what you will. Also, loads of red cards as well. Loads of teams scoring late goals and coming from behind. It was a very, very interesting week, uh, and not just for the results themselves. But we'll get onto all of them, ladies and gentlemen. We'll go through all the results from the midweek games, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and there's some big, massive news as well, of course. Peterborough sacking, well, not sacking, uh, Darren Ferguson resigning from Peterborough. We'll talk about that and his potential replacement. Um, it looks pretty obvious who his replacement is going to be at the time of recording. It may even be announced after this podcast is finished. But we'll talk about that and some of the other news from the past few days and finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. But before we get underway, dear listener, let me tell you about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of bet £10, get £30, plus 10 free spins when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast. UK mobile registrations only, terms and restrictions apply, full details on site, 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tool. We'll kick things off, Justin, with Reading's first match under Paul Ince. They beat Birmingham 2-1. In the second half, Reading looked quite good and I thought definitely good value for the win overall. You, you can argue that Birmingham had chances to, to, to win the game. They created a fair few, but at, at the same time, Reading were a lot more clinical and, as you say, looked a lot more dangerous uh, as well. And like I've said um, previously and obviously at the weekend as well, the, the, the attacking um, force that Reading have... Is, is a very good one in, in this division and, and one that is going to win your games and win your points. And lo and behold, Lucas Shaw pops up um, with a goal and I think he got fouled for the penalty as well and John Swift puts it away. So, you know, that's the marking of a very good side. But as I say, Birmingham had chances to, to win the game as well or get ahead in the game. They just weren't as clinical um, as Reading at key times uh, as they should have been. Just to save you from the Twitterati who are going to come after it is actually Yeardum who got fouled for the penalty. But <laughs> I do take your points. Lucas Yao and John Swift, they both got on the score sheet. Yao's goal in particular is really nice. <coughs> but this is, and that is kind of following from what you were saying the other day, Justin. If either one of those two finds a prolonged run of form for the remainder of the season, Reading should stay up, shouldn't they? Well, it's what I've said all along. Um, it's it, The attack is far too good uh, for it to be languishing 
uh, where they are in the table, even with a six-point deduction, it should be at least mid-table. Um, but obviously, Reading haven't put a run of form together to, to convince otherwise yet. But as I say, it's, it's a very good attack and trade. John Swift could get into pretty much any side in the Championship, maybe not Fulham, but pretty much any side in the Championship. Lucas Shaw on his day could get into any side in the Championship as well. So it's, it's, it's a very good side. And then you've got the likes of Tom Ince, Yakumete and um, uh, Junior Hoylet when he's when he's in and rotating with Tom Ince. It's 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 a good it's a good attacking lineup and it will take an absolute catastrophically bad manager not to get anything from them. Well, um, <laughs> it, it, it is worth saying Reading did have a penalty, which I'll put firmly in the category of I've seen them given, but I've also not seen them given. Mm. Um, but it is quite amusing how. Things can change at a club in the space of a week. Two wins and two, plenty of question marks over Paul Inter's appointments. But this was certainly a good way to get things off the mark. Um, and I was saying not too long ago, Justin, that I put Derby down as the favourites. These two wins now, when you look at the points gap, a lot of my thinking with Derby being the favourites to stay up out of those four teams at the bottom was around you know Reading just not being able to get a win for love nor money. Now mm-hmm. they've got two. The points gap is looking big. And I think the pendulum has swung quite a bit in the past seven days. So it's very interesting, this uh, relegation battle. Reading certainly on the up, um, which you, if you told a Reading fan that a week ago, they'd have been <laughs> amazed, to say the very least. But yeah, suddenly Reading looking quite positive for once. Uh, but we'll monitor that situation. I don't think they're certainly out of trouble yet, but uh, certainly looking positive for for the first time in a long time. Um, quick word on Birmingham, Justin. Lee Bowyer said his side gave Reading three points because of how wasteful they were. They did miss some good chances in this game, to be fair. I, I think a simple way of putting it is they lack a bit of bite in the final third, don't they? And in a way, that would be a good way of summing up a fairly so-so season for them. Yeah, they've lacked bite in front of goal all season, which is quite staggering, really, when you've got Scott Hogan, who's a very good poacher, and you've got Troy Dean, who's one of the championship's best ever strikers um yeah they have lacked bite in, in front of goal all season this game epitomized it very well they had seven shots on target they had seven shots inside the penalty area they got into got they got in behind reading fairly often i think hernandez um was a was a constant threat against him i think he hit a shot straight against the reading keeper as well um it just was a poor performance in front of goal and it could have been very very different sorry about my voice this is going to keep happening all the way through the podcast <clears throat> yeah, it was it was a really poor performance in front of goal, which which ultimately cost Birmingham the game. <laughs> it absolutely did. Um, well, just to make the relegation battle all the more interesting, Barnsley won as well. They beat Hull two 0 Only Barnsley's third league win since August, and Barnsley were very good. Well, Hull <laughs> were very bad. But let's focus on the positives first. Just in two wins in three games for Poiras Bargi and Barnsley have suddenly sprung into life. There you go. Uh, when I was saying those green shoots of life, or when we were saying those green shoots of life back in sort of November, um, I was expecting this sort of perfor- these sorts of performances, and it's only been three months, and we've got there in the end, which is which is good because yeah, Barnsley do have quality players, and I think it's I think it's a mix of confidence and um, personnel availability at the right times for for Barnsley. But I think as Barnsley's starting to understand his squad. I think a more experienced manager would have would have got to grips with it a lot sooner. Um, and they're starting to pick up points. They were really poor at the weekend, but this is a sort of performance that makes you go, OK, maybe they've got a chance. But it, this win is pointless if they can't build upon it. Um, 
on Saturday uh, or at the weekend because, as I say, if you don't develop any consistency, you're not going to get out of the bottom three and wins here or there aren't enough. Well, it seems as if Aspargi has finally figured out a system that works for the players that he's got and that involves getting Domingos Quino on the ball as much as possible, which is <coughs> understandable because he has looked absolutely brilliant since mm-hmm. coming in. Callum Styles had a good game, something which I don't think we've said about him all season. Carlton Morris scored a lovely goal, but also led the line really well. I think the biggest compliment of all is that the Barnsley defenders didn't have much to do in this game. I, I didn't expect to see any signs of life in Barnsley because they were looking dead and buried. I think every mm-hmm. Barnsley fan will even admit that. But all of a sudden, you're thinking, hang on a second... There's another team in this relegation battle. If you look at the table now, they're only a point behind Peterborough and Derby. And um, they've got a game in hand on Derby as well. So whether they can maintain it is another question. But, I mean, well done, Poyas Bargi, for at least lighting a spark in this Barnsley team. But now you're thinking, hang on a second, this may not be dead and buried after all. And here we are, we may actually have a bit more of a relegation battle that doesn't just involve Derby and Reading, as it did look like it was a few days ago. Um, let's talk Hull. There was a big Hull crowd at this game. You could get tickets for as cheap as £2. And right. it was apparently to mark a new era at the club. In the end, it didn't really seem too dissimilar from the bad bits of the last era, did it, Justin? Yeah, it wasn't a great performance. I saw a lot of Hull fans being very, very critical of the team. Um and, and, and fair enough, it was a really poor performance. They didn't create anything. Um, I think that's the main worry, is that they're, they're not creating much. Uh, over the last few games, they haven't been much of a threat going forwards. I think they've been a fairly defensively solid. But in this game, again, they, they allowed Barnsley far too much um, space and time and far too much respect, really. Um, almost like they were expecting a result to come in, which you just can't do that in the Championship. But yeah, it was, a, it was a really poor performance from Hull. There was too many players off it, and they should have they should have got something from this based purely on the the quality of player that Hull now have. I think that's the thing that our vlad has got to sort out is 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 what is his best team and how can he get the best out of those players? Because we're five or six games into his reign, I don't think he knows that yet. No, I, I'm I've got to say I'm not convinced with Shotter Avaladzi. Two points from a possible eighteen. <clears throat> The big concern for me, and I think you were just talking about it then, Justin, is how poor they have been going forwards. They've averaged just eight shots per game in their last six games, and that's the lowest in the division in that time. When they have the ball, they don't seem to know what to do with it. (laughs) And I'm sat there thinking, what have you been doing on the training grounds to show up to a match with seemingly no game plan? There possibly is a game plan, but when I watch them, I don't know what it is. So... The brakes have suddenly been put on the good feel factor around Hull when we had the takeover and everything. It looked like Hull were, you know, just going to cruise away from a relegation battle Mm -hmm. and be preparing for the championship next season. But now I'm looking at things and I'm looking at the table thinking, hang on a minute, you're not 100% safe yet. And it did look like it was going to be a four-way shootout for the bottom three. If any team is going to be roped back in, it would be Hull. And it wouldn't surprise me at this point if Hull did get roped back in because they have been so, so bad in the last six games and I'll admit it is still unlikely because um, there's still a big old points gap between the likes of uh, Derby and Peterborough and Hull but it wouldn't surprise me if they are looking over their shoulder a bit in the next few games we'll wait and see on that point let's go towards the top of the table Justin Sheffield United unbeaten in nine after beating Blackburn 1-0 they were down to two 10 men for 25 minutes after Charlie Good was sent off. And also Blackburn missed a penalty before Ben <laughs> Davis scored the winner in the 92nd minute. 
Overall, another good win for the Blades, Justin. And another clean sheet. I think that's six clean sheets. Uh, sorry, eight clean sheets um, in, in nine now. Um, and ruthlessly efficient defensively, ruthlessly. Um, I mean, the, the game plans are, are, are starting to really starting to see the impact of, of, of players in the team. Um, and I say the game plans are, are working very well. I think Blackburn did have chances in this, and obviously it could have been a different story had um, had uh, Kadra put the penalty away. But nonetheless, your keeper's there for a reason, and he and he's kept Sheffield United in the game. And and they've pushed for a winner. And again, that's that's we've said it before about teams. You don't play particularly well, but you managed to eke out three points. You've, you're very very pleased. But it was it was a good performance for Blades, and um, one that should again should make the top two stand up and go. Maybe not Fulham, but Bournemouth especially should make the uh, teams getting trying to get into the top two stand up and go. Hang on a minute, you know, there's a team coming uh, up the division. Yeah, it is interesting when you look at. Um... Sheffield United and where they are in the table, isn't it? I, I, I did make this point a few weeks ago now when um, it looked like it could still very well be open. You, you look at it, the five points behind Bournemouth, they've got two games in hand, Bournemouth have. So one would say that Bournemouth should still be comfortably getting promoted this season. But if they do make a mess of those two games in hand and they've got a very trick of running games for the final few games of the season then you'd say Sheffield United are the team who would be challenging for them wouldn't it? it may be a bit too far gone but it is going to be interesting to monitor that but going back to the game Sander Berger put in his best performance of the season in the Sheffield United shirt he was fantastic you were talking about the clean sheets Justin West Fodderingham he was the hero for the Blades here wasn't he? that penalty mm-hmm. save was fantastic but it's very interesting to see the rise of Wes Fodderingham this season because if you, yeah. if I had to pick a, a hero <clears throat> for each team in the Championship, I think Wes Fodderingham would have been fairly down that list in a Sheffield United shirt. But he has been fantastic for them this season. He's um, favourably known as League One Wes by <laughs> Sheffield United fans. That's a reference to Paolo Di Canio calling him that back at, uh, in, in his Swindon days. Um, but it is, you know, it, it is said lovingly by Sheffield United fans. But he has been fantastic and has been winning them a lot of points, particularly in the last couple of months or so. Um, of course, they had Robin Olsen in, earlier in the season. That turned out to be a bit of a disaster. But Fodderingham has come in and since he has come in, has been really, really solid. And I don't think anyone expected that. But fair play to him. He has been superb for Sheffield United and uh, has proven to be a really solid goalkeeper, especially because he has kept so many clean sheets recently as well. So a lot of positives for Sheffield United right now. As I said at the weekend, if you were going to come up against a team at the weekend, you wouldn't want it to be, first of all, Fulham, and then secondly, Sheffield United right now, because they're in such good form. Um, Let's talk Blackburn. No winning five for them. Haven't scored in that time either now, Justin. They've hit a poor run of form at a really, really bad time, haven't they? The, you're spot on. It's, it's. I wouldn't say a worrying time for Blackburn, but you'll, you'll have a lot of fans who are starting to get concerned about this run of form, as I say. <clears throat> and I think it's mainly the, the run of games without goals. It's apparently a club record, which is staggering. I mean, fair play, five games without goals is, is a club record. A lot of teams will have a lot worse than that. Um, but it's, yeah, as you say, it's come at the, the worst time, straight after January, where Blackburn have have strengthened um, they've got key players back in I know Ben Barrett and Diaz picked up a knock against West Brom but nonetheless they've got key players back in the likes of um, Rothwell and 
Uh, obviously, there's Ryan Giles who's come in as well. So th- there are good players available now at Blackburn, whereas you know in their in their really good run of form, they had play- they had players out. Um, so yeah, it's a really poor time. But at the same time, they're still creating chances. They're still creating chances in front of goal, and they're still they're still a threat to teams. They're just at the moment not being clinical. And we said with Birmingham City that they're lacking a bite in front of goal. I think Blackburn are the same, and it's probably that heavy reliance on Ben Barrett and Diaz to grab you the goals that's probably coming to bite you in, uh, in the arse at this point in the season because I know Gallagher's um, Gallagher, Gallagher, Sam Gallagher's a good player but he's not prolific enough for a team getting into the top two or, or maybe in the top six he's a very good player I will reiterate that but they need a secondary player who's a, a reliable source of goals when when the old BBD is, is, is either not in form or not fit Yeah you looked at it statistically in the season when Blackburn weren't creating hatfuls of chances in terms of expected goals. You always had Ben Barrett and Diaz who would just score a goal from nothing. And they were relying on that quite a lot earlier in the season. And now that they've gone through that very green patch, which saw them fly up the table, Mm -hmm. they seem to have gone back a bit towards that Blackburn side from earlier in the season, before they went on that good run of form. And now because they haven't got someone as clinical as Ben Barrett and Diaz, the chances aren't just are just not being put away and they're not creating enough for me either. Um, is worth saying, Bradley Dack will hopefully be back very mm. soon, which will be a massive boost for them. Ben Brereton Diaz, I'm not sure how long he's out for. There were very mixed signals about how bad his ankle injury was, but hopefully it won't be too bad and he will be back in the team soon. But without a doubt, Blackburn, the out-of-form team in the top six right now and considering you've got a line of teams outside the top six who are looking in at the moment in good form it's worrying for Blackburn to say the very least isn't it um, another team who you've got to have lots of worries for are West Brom they've lost again this time they were beaten 2-1 away at Middlesbrough uh, well, West Brom took the lead in the first half and I was sat there wondering is this it Justin is this finally it West Brom get three points under Steve Bruce but it very quickly went to pot in the second half and it's now one point in six games Justin Pooch yeah this this team doesn't get in the playoffs I'm calling it now that they've got no chance they they're out of confidence um you can argue that the quality of players now under question were they overperforming earlier on in the season I don't think they were they, they I mean <laughs> they're under they were underperforming but now it's seeped into um a lot worse than that and it's very hard for teams to recover from runs like this um even going into into next season and it is a massive shame and this isn't a criticism of West Brom or the club but you know, decisions at the top have, have let them down. Timing of decisions at the top have let them down, and, and we're ultimately we're in this position now. Um, the, the squad needed a little bit of investment in the summer, didn't get it. Um, no disrespect to Adam Reach, but you know, Adam Reach was was signed as a um, a bit of a, a gap to be plugged at the time. Um, Daryl DK came in in January. Obviously, they spent money, but that should have been done, as I say, in the summer. Um, and and they're paying for it. They're, they're paying for it now. When other teams have strengthened, West Brom moved sideways a little bit. And I know I, I've sort of deviated away from the performance a little bit, but um, that all of you know, everything I've just said lends into that performance um, because there are key issues at West Brom that need to be addressed that won't be addressed with a new manager and we've said before Steve Bruce has got a massive job on his hands this is a, a massive massive job because West Brom are very much in danger of you know doing what Swansea did and possibly I know they competed for playoffs but you just or, or even Cardiff you're dropping into a sort of a, a mid-table championship club which is, is not is not the best thing um, for a team that invests heavily D- difficult to get out of yeah Exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. They they're like they're like a film they're like a film with good actors and a good director. And by that I mean director obviously being the manager, but the manager or the director in this case gets sacked halfway through the project and then they bring in another director and the director's a bit like, "Well, what am I working with here?" The actors are good because the actors have been the players. We all know those players are good. A lot of them were playing regularly in the Premier League last season mm-hmm. um, and did a so-so job. But the film is still not very good. So if the film's not very good, then you say the storyline is shit. And I, I think that's the only way I can describe West Brom. It's the only way I can compare them. And I, what is the storyline is the best way of describing it. Are the, yeah. Have you just got actors filling in roles that they just shouldn't be? Is there something else behind the scenes? Is there this something going on with the players? I, I don't know, Justin. I can't figure out what's actually wrong with West Brom because this team should be top six, shouldn't it? Even with what you were just saying then about the likes of Adam Reach filling in and you know them not having a, a, a striker that suits the value in Ishmael's system for the first half of the season, they should still be getting top six. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at a, a tweet from a West Brom fan and they were going through every player in the squad and basically slagging off every single one in there. But they are good players. Mm-hmm. And they're not playing like good players. They're, they're playing like an average championship side. And it's quite lucky, really, that they did have that good first couple of months of the season because God knows where they'd be if mm-hmm. it wasn't for that. I mean, you look at it now, they're only nine points above Birmingham. And Birmingham yeah. have been very bang average across much of the season, haven't they? So, yeah. You know, I, I do agree with you. I think West Brom's season is over now. I, I can't see them getting in top six now. I, I don't think any West Brom fan is too hopeful of that anymore. It's just a real mess. And they're one of the most out-of-form teams in the division, which is just remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. I've got nothing else to say on the matter. Let's go positive with Middlesbrough. A great way to bounce back for Chris Wilder's boys, Justin, after losing to Bristol City at the weekend. They were a bit flat in the first half, but second half, I thought they were great. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it was a typical typical Borussia side in the second half under under Wilder. That is, um, they pressed very well. They created plenty of chances. You look at the goals that they scored. Tavernier's um, was brilliant, and it, and it and it sums up nicely what Wilder is doing at um, at Borough because both goals were, were were very similar in the sense that they were they were cut back from from the byline and um, into into uh, really dangerous areas. Again, criticism could be aimed at the likes of Balogun and Connolly for not having much of an impact on the game when they should have been in but nonetheless they've got they're showing that they've got that strength in depth in the likes of Watmore coming on having an impact although Watmore got awarded the assist um, for Tavernier's goal which is a bit cheeky because um, I think it just hit him while he was on the floor but nonetheless yeah this this Borough side is, is very very good and there's a lot to like about it there's, there's flexibility there Tavernier is coming into his own I think when we were speaking to Johnny from from the Borough breakdown not too long ago, he was saying that his um, his assist would be a lot higher if Borough were more clinical, and you could argue that more eyes would be on Tavernier rather than Isaiah Jones if that was the case. But yeah, this this Borough side's full of quality, and it showed it defensively. They were very good. Dyke still, Dyke still doesn't get enough of mention because of Paddy McNair, and rightly so because Paddy McNair is one of the most complete players in the division. But Dyke still is fantastic, and um, yeah, it's, it's a very good Borough side, and it's hard not to ooze over them when they play like that. Yeah, it was a oozeful performance, wasn't it, for Middlesbrough? <laughs> Tavernier was absolutely electric. I, I, even ignoring the goal and the assist he made, mm-hmm. um, his energy was just so dangerous and his pace as well. I, I feel he could be a very important player 
for Middlesbrough in the business end of the season. Mm-hmm. They have needed more of a spark in the final third. And when he's on form, you definitely get that from him, don't you? He he was even playing left-back here, which was interesting. But he definitely gives you more of an edge than Neil Taylor does going forward. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him back playing their way at Barnsley this weekend. And if that happens, a wing-back pairing of Tavernier and Isaiah James is really <laughs> exciting. But really good from Tav. He's, he's, he does create a lot of chances. Um, his shooting is a bit... Mm, but overall, his, his chance creation is just superb. And he puts defenders on their toes doesn't he and Mm -hmm. I think as I was just saying that is something that Middlesbrough do lack a bit having players who put defenders on their toes but uh, you certainly get that with Tavernier and Jones but more performances like this from Tavernier and he'll be a very important player for Chris Wilder Justin let's have a break after that we'll talk about a win for QPR and a win for Huddersfield Hello there guys, it's Ryan. I'm just checking in to tell you about the second tier betting show, which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the championship each weekend. We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games. So if you enjoy having a flutter on the championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, Justin, we live, eat and breathe championship football on this podcast. So not being able to go to some games is gutting. However, there is a solution. What's the solution? That solution, Justin, is a very handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN? In a nutshell, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. One of those benefits is access to content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location with one click. This means you can watch the 3pm games on a Saturday or access other matches from a different country, meaning I can keep up to date with all of the football. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. It means you can watch Netflix, Amazon Prime or any other streaming service and look at the content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for it to be released on UK platforms. It also lets you um, be protected from, you know, hackers and whatnot with uh, protecting you from unsecured public Wi-Fi. Because you can get NordVPN on your phone, laptop, tablet, protects you from all of that. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. And a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month. A small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Justin, QPR were back to winning ways after beating Blackpool 2-1. QPR were down to 10 men for more than half the game after Dion Sanderson was sent off. But ultimately, first win in five... They did make it a bit difficult for themselves, but another good win for QPR and a much needed win considering they did go five games without a win. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think that the manner of the win as well, it's a sort of performance and gritty performance that is that can seep into the next game um, and help you redevelop that, that form that got you into the playoffs in the first place or got you into the automatic race in the first place. But as I say, I don't think either side created too many chances. I think both keepers had... Um, 
had a, a relatively quiet game with a couple of uh, big saves, but nonetheless, uh, keep your ground out the win, and that's what you've got to do, especially late on. As I say, that's the sort of performance and, and win and three points that can seep into the next game and, and help you really develop some consistency. Dion Sanderson's red card was absolutely comical in the sense that it was a stupid decision and, he, and he's let his teammates down there but it's not cost QPR at all which is which is a positive for him it's got him off the hook yeah he definitely got him off the hook he even apologised on social media afterwards saying it was just a rush of blood to the head um, and it's just pointless isn't it doing that kind of thing <laughs> um, but yeah QPR getting uh, three points was massive here wasn't it it's always tough playing against Blackpool they're a really resolute side and uh, getting this was uh, certainly very important for QPR. Uh, Josh Bowler scored for the Seaside as Justin, former QPR player as well. But it is mm-hmm. quite phenomenal how good his form has been for the Seasiders this season. He's been absolutely remarkable, uh, particularly in the last couple of months. But yeah, QPR, back to winning ways, up to third now. Two points off Bournemouth, but have played three games more than the Cherries. Huddersfield came from a goal down to beat Cardiff 2-1. Huddersfield definitely not at their best here. They didn't really get going until the final five minutes, but one may argue that's the sign of a good team, Justin. Well, yeah, I'd just put it in my notes here. If you if you don't play at your best, but you still get the three points, especially with a late win, a bit like QPR, it's a sort of it's a sort of game that can seep into into the next one, which is a massive positive for Huddersfield because you know they they went away to Fulham, um, they went away to Fulham at the weekend, and it was a tough a tough tough game for them, um, and they ground out the win in the last ten minutes. Huddersfield are a very good side. They've got some very good players. John Russell's coming through, and he's he's looking absolutely fantastic. You know the, the sheer size of him. Is a, is a very good start, but he's showing really good ability on the ball as well, and his goal was very well taken. Sorwa Thomas, again, ability with his with his crosses were a constant threat for Cardiff. I mean, you've got to feel for Cardiff for not getting anything from the game, but at the end of the day, Huddersfield are a team on the up, and you've got to be at your best for 90 minutes, and unfortunately Cardiff weren't, but as I say, Huddersfield, magnificent win, brilliant, um, brilliant scenes at the end, and you know, long may it continue because this team's been unbeaten since November, which is a remarkable run of form, considering the resources available to Huddersfield compared to the likes of West Brom, for example. Yeah, it is a really remarkable run of form. I don't think anyone's denying that. Um, personally, still sceptical about them finishing in the top six, mainly because you look at how many games they've played compared to the others. I mean, they've played two more games than Middlesbrough, Luton, Coventry, Forest, um, even Millwall. Um and that could cost them, but at the same time, they're you know they don't look like they're going to um, be on losing run anytime soon, do they? I think that's the the, the worst of their worries, uh, the least of their worries, I should say. Um, but yeah, I, I, Huddersfield, I, you can't take anything away from them, especially after this uh, run and coming back from a goal down here late on to beat Cardiff, who aren't in the worst bit of form themselves. Not too bad at all. So, yeah, hats off to Huddersfield. Uh, have got a couple of very winnable games coming up as well before a tricky, tricky march. But, uh, yeah, let's um, see how they keep getting on. In the Nathan Jones derby, Luton won 2 1 away at Stoke. A fully deserved three points here for the Hatters, Justin. And I thought Stoke were actually quite bad in this game. Yeah, I thought Luton were brilliant. I think, I think Stoke were made to look worse than they were because of how Luton set up. I think the ease of which Luton broke away at times, um, it was a really damning performance on, on how Stoke set up and played. And for me, that's Stoke out of the playoffs, but certainly Luton 
uh, puts Luton firmly in the hunt for them because uh, yeah, it's, it's a big away win for, for Luton. And apparently Luton never beat Stoke either, so you've got to put your hat off there to Nathan Jones as well. Um, yeah, it was a very good away performance from from uh, Nathan Jones's team and as I say, the, the ease in which they scored the goals is, is a pretty damning incitement of, of how Stoke played, but Luton forced them into those areas and it was, yeah, as I say, really good performance. Yeah, they I think Luton outplayed them, they outfought them. I mean, Luton out fight quite a lot of teams <laughs> yeah. in the Championship, don't they? So you've always got to be up for the fight at the very least and Stoke just weren't anywhere near, quite frankly. And that's why a lot of Stoke fans were booing at the final mm-hmm. whistle of this game. Many are very frustrated with Michael O'Neill. I mean, dropping down to 14th in the table now, it's miles off the playoff race. It's not good. It's not good at all. Of course, you do have the caveat of injuries, but sometimes you have got to ask questions of the management um, because this is still a very handy Stoke side. But Luton, looking, <laughs> they're not giving up on the playoff race at all, have they? Um, they've got Derby coming up this weekend. Derby's away record is atrocious. So you'd expect them to get another three points. And the sky looks to be the limit for Luton at the moment. Of course, we try to be as neutral as possible on this podcast, Justin, but it would be fantastic to see Luton in the top six, wouldn't it? Oh, I mean, how excited were we at Barnsley getting in the top six last season? You've got teams like this with, with the resources that they have ruffling a lot of feathers. It's really, really good to see, and that's why that's why we love the Championship. That's why we talk about the Championship, is because there are teams like, with the likes of Luton, with the likes of Barnsley and Huddersfield, where the resources aren't like the parachute teams that have come down from the Premier League. And they go in and, and they they let you know that it's not all about money. It's about personnel. It's about quality of coaching. It's about fight and desire. And, and those teams have all had it over the last couple of seasons. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Luton in the playoffs. I'd love to see... Um, I'd love to see Nathan Jones in a, in a, in a playoff campaign because, my God, that would be worth the Sky Sports subscription alone. Um, if, if Nathan Jones was in a playoff campaign, his heartbeat would be out. <laughs> he, his heart would be beating out his chest. It would be remarkable. Yeah. that his, his eyes would be pulsing out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> this, the guy's stress levels would be through the roof because, I mean, he's stressful. He's, he's stressed at, you know, the, the least important of times. Yeah. But if it gets to a playoff game, my God, he'll be all over the place. Um, but I would love to see it. I mean, Kenilworth Road in the Premier League would be a remarkable <laughs> sight in itself. Um, Millwall made it three wins in three after beating Derby 2 on. I tell you what, Millwall have hit a bit of form all of a sudden, haven't they, Justin? Yes, they have. And we've got a present for it. But don't don't convince yourselves to get into the playoffs because they do this every season. They do this, especially under Gary Rowett. They convince you they're there. They convince you they're going to make a splash in the playoffs. But suddenly they, they have a slight curtail of form and they drop out. But... Uh, the last three performances have been brilliant. Um, I thought they settled perfectly against Derby. Uh, they stifled Derby. Um, getting a goal in the first minute against Millwall was probably the worst thing you can do because I know Millwall haven't been as good at it or as effective as it uh, at it as as they have been in the past. But they were very stubborn um, and not allowing Derby much in the first half. But credit to Gary Rowett, credit to Millwall, um, and credit to Tyler Berry as well, who's really really impressing me his, his directness with his runs and his, and his finish against Derby was, was absolutely magnificent very very good player coming through I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops over the next sort of 18 months a player who's really impressing me in a Millwall shirt is a lad called Jed Wallace who I don't think we've ever mentioned Ugh. on the show before Justin um, he is in top form again though isn't he I don't think he's probably having his best season by the past couple of seasons <clears throat> by the standards that he set over the past couple of seasons but I was looking at his stats the other day. He's got 
the highest chance created per minute ratio in the championship. And again, he was just phenomenal against Derby here as well. Um, it does seem like this is the end of his Millwall career, doesn't it? It seems like this is a bit of a swan song and he's going out with a bang, isn't he? He's giving his all, despite his future at Millwall looking like uh, it's not going to last much longer. But he seems to be mm-hmm. giving his all and... My God, he is definitely giving his all. Um, let's talk Derby. I don't think they were particularly at the races in this game at all. They were certainly lacking a spark from someone like a Tom Lawrence, for example. Eberselli went off at half-time, which wasn't ideal either. And from that point, Derby didn't look to have much else, really. Um, also worth saying, Derby's pitch is awful. I don't know how it's got so bad, but it is really, really bad. <laughs> They've turned off the lights, you know, those solar lights um, that they put out on the pitches because they can't afford it. Um, you know, it's little things like that that you don't realise, yeah, literally yeah. just turning the lights off on a pitch. If the pitch was a lot better, might suit Derby's style of play a lot better. But yeah, you're right. It's, it, it, the pitch is looking really, really bad. I'd, I'd argue that my Sunday league pitch is in much better nick um, than Pride Park at the moment. Yeah, it is really bad. And it's not ideal for a Derby side who likes to play it with the ball on the ground at mm-hmm. Pride Park as well, isn't it? So, yeah, Derby have relied a lot on their home form this season and this isn't going to help things at all, is it, with their hopes of staying up? In what was probably the most obvious result of the season, Fulham beat Peterborough 2-1. <laughs> um, I say most obvious result, Peterborough scoring is a bit of a surprise in itself, but Alexander Mitrovic got two. That's not a surprise at all, is it? He's now broken Ivan Tony's championship record for the most goals in a season. He's on 33 he's going to break Guy Whittingham's record at this rate, isn't he, Justin? He's nine. He's nine away from equaling it. So I want to say yes. 14 his, games left. 14 games left, yes. I mean, he's got a double here. He takes penalties. Fulham win quite a few penalties. So yeah, it's very hard not to see him do it. When I mean, you've got someone like Nico Williams as well, who is a different kind of asset on the right right hand side for Fulham. I think you've got a <laughs> you increase your chance for assists, which is ridiculous in this Fulham team, isn't it? But um yeah, he's he's, he's a top top striker. He's he's gonna he's gonna break it, hundred percent. He missed a massive chance as well to make it a hat trick and it, it was the kind of chance you'd expect Alexander Mitrovic of all people to put away but I don't think I'll be complaining with two goals really. This game was a bit of a training session. It was defence versus attack and then Peterborough just went up the other end and pulled one back through Jack Marriott right at the end but it was always too little too late and just a very comfortable win for Fulham who now find themselves nine points clear of Bournemouth in second. Um what else can we really say about Fulham at this point just in that we haven't said a million times already Coventry recorded back-to-back wins for the first time since September after winning 2-1 away at Bristol City and I tell you what Coventry have snuck up in the old playoff race haven't they they're ahead of Forest, which I think will surprise quite a few people but um, am I right in saying you discounted Coventry from the playoff race not too long ago Justin? It may have been last week's midweek episode. I, I did. I, I do think that they, they might drop off. I mean, how many times can you score a late winner? It's just ridiculous how how um, how much they push. And it is really, really impressive. But how, how often can they keep up? But saying that, they've been doing it all season. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a strange sort of desire there from, from Coventry. And you think the quality of that first goal, especially that, that pass from Hamer and the finishing run from Martson, yeah, they do have quality in that team, and they shouldn't be discounted. I think if I was to make a you know, snap judgment now, I'd, I wouldn't put them in the playoffs. But at the same time, 
they'll keep proving me wrong. They they keep proving people wrong, and that's that's all you can do as a team. Yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I, I would be surprised if they actually were in the top six come the end of the season, but they can at least run it close, can't they? And I think that will at least <coughs> appease Coventry fans who are a bit annoyed about dropping out of the playoffs after being in mm. it for the first third of the season. Um, and overall, I think Coventry fans will be pretty happy with the season, whether they finish in the playoffs or not, won't yeah. they? Um, the only thing I can say about Bristol City is at least their games are entertaining. <laughs> They're unpredictable <laughs> as anything, but you get loads of good value for goals, don't you, from the, their games. And final game from midweek was Preston nil, Forest nil. Um, strange how Forest can go seven games and lose just one of those games and have seemingly dropped off the playoff race so quickly in that time, Justin. Then now I'm just looking at it now. They're five points off Sheffield United, who are sixth. Um, I, I still think they're another side who can run it very close. And personally, I probably would put them in the top six for me. But um, two draws in a row and suddenly you drop off, don't you, when other teams are in such good form? Well, you've got the likes of Luton, Coventry and Borough all winning. That that makes it more difficult. The likes of Millwall are coming up behind you as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the Forest have just, you know, they haven't really, they're not, they're not been poor, but they've not been great either. Um, I think they're just falling into that mediocrity spell of uh, form that they, every team's going to go through at some point that they've not had to go through under Steve Cooper yet. Um, so I think they will pick up again, um, maybe even at the weekend, because I think Steve Cooper's very good at making his teams sort of reevaluate and bounce back very quickly. They've got Bristol City at home this weekend, which should be three points considering Bristol City are really bad away from home. But then they have another team who have got a really, really difficult March mm-hmm. coming up and could end up being a season-defining month for them. So, yeah, Forest definitely need to uh, get back on the horse now, without a doubt. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Darren Ferguson has resigned as Peterborough bosses after a run which saw them take just two points from nine games. Matt Hetherington took charge of their game against Fulham in midweek. Just in this was the classic case of big news coming out just hours after Sunday's podcast was released. What did you make of the news when it broke? Wasn't a surprise. I think I said uh, in the in the episode uh, we recorded on, on the Sunday that Darren Ferguson was saying we don't have championship quality in the squad, which I think... Yeah, they, they they lack it certainly, but I don't think you particularly need it. You got to look at like look at uh, Luton for example, who have thrived on picking gems from lower leagues um, and done very well in, in 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 developing those because they've got a manager who can do it. Um, again, what I'm trying to say is Darren Ferguson's got to look at himself. Is he the right man for the job? And I don't think he is. If if Peterborough are to make that next step into the championship, which again you look at the likes of Luton and Huddersfield over the years and uh, and Preston as well, Millwall. They've all done it. They've all managed to do it, and they've all managed to do it with a similar resources coming out of League One. It's not impossible. Um, it's not as as impossible as everyone seems to think from a Peter perspective. So yeah, I think Darren Ferguson needed to move on because this is a sort of form as well that could seep into next season, and they fall away in League One because I, I can't see them getting out of it because, as I say, the damage he should have walked in in October for my for my money. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you've just said. It did need to happen because people were looking like they were going down without a trace. I think what's happened is Darren Ferguson has either done the honourable thing and said, right, I'm clearly not doing a good enough job, so I'll go. Or the board have told him, come on, mate, do us a favour. Um, I've got no proof of which one it is, but both <laughs> seem entirely plausible to me. Um, 
they have been so poor for months. I remember talking to Peterborough fans in around November time when they were saying there's a good chance Derby could overtake them by the end of the season. Well, it's ended up happening in February instead, mm-hmm. hasn't it? I don't blame Peterborough for giving Ferguson a go at the beginning of the season. He did a fantastic job in League One last season. He has had a terrible record at Championship level, but maybe he would have learnt from his past mistakes, but he clearly hasn't. And it's ended up just being a bit of a mess, hasn't it? And dare I even mention the decision to give him a new three-year contract in November. <laughs> since that happened, they've played 14 games since then and lost 10 of them, oh which uh, I think, yeah, <laughs> as new contracts go, that's uh, got to go down as one of the worst in Championship history. Um, I was saying on Sunday, Justin, that I think a better manager could get more out of this Peterborough team and keep Peterborough up. Um, judging from what you were just saying, I'm guessing you disagree. No, I think there is quality in this team. I think they're probably a little bit too far gone for a team, for a manager to come in and keep them up, unless it's the nuclear option, it's Neil Warnock. Because I think Neil Warnock went into a terrible, terrible Rotherham team <coughs> and managed to keep them in a championship uh, a few years ago. So it is it is doable, but at the same time, there's not uh, there's not enough ex- championship experience in this team to, to be able to do that. They've got some, and they, got, they have got quality, but... I think there's just too much to do. I think they've got to make an appointment for next season because there's there's quality players there to walk League One, in my opinion. Um, but they they'll struggle to make that step in the championship if they don't find the sort of the right players. It's interesting you say that because the man who is expected to get the job is Grant McCann. Of course, he used mm-hmm. to be Peter Boss and was most recently the manager of Hull. Um, he's reportedly about to get the job today probably goes out, probably gets announced as soon as this podcast gets put out. Um, But for me, it feels like you're going from one manager who didn't have a great record at championship level to another manager without a great record at championship level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think Grant McCann is a better manager than Darren Ferguson, albeit probably slightly. But I I do like Grant McCann and I do like, I do think that he did turn a corner at Hull. And I do think had he stayed at Hull, Hull would be sort of lower mid-table now rather than possibly getting sucked into the relegation battle again and that's not a criticism of anyone I just think Grant McCann is a better manager than probably a lot has been made out to him I know his championship record isn't the best but as I say that turnaround in form since November for Hull convinced me that he that he can do it he became less stubborn which is what you need to do as a manager you have to become a lot more fluid and he did that and he started to get results you need you know he went unbeaten for six games, Justin. It wasn't like it was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like it was a Reading 2011-12 season. Okay. Um, but I, I get what you mean. I I think if they do get Grant McCann in, Peter Ball will still go down. I, I, I can't see him turning it around because I don't think he's that good a manager at championship level. But I think it is an appointment looking towards next season because he did brilliantly to get Hull back into the championship after just one season in League One, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And his record at League One is fairly good. So I think it is looking towards that and thinking, right, we may not stay up this season, but we can bounce back next season and then have a proper go at staying in the championship um, in two seasons' time. Having said that, I still don't particularly think his record at championship level is great, but if that is the plan with an eye towards next season, then I don't blame Peterborough. They certainly like to give managers who they know a good chance, don't they? Um, mm-hmm. And Grant McCann knows the club inside and out. So, yeah, fair enough. I'm okay with the appointment. I'm not <laughs> bedazzled by it, but it's an appointment nonetheless. Um, 
ITV will show highlights of the Football League from next season. The AFL has entered a two-season partnership with the broadcaster. It's going to be on ITV4 at 9pm on Saturdays with a repeat later in the evening as well as showing midweek fixtures as well. Um, I'm alright with this. Quest was good. One tick, Colomori was a fantastic presenter. I'm a big fan of his, but uh, um, nice to see it back on ITV4, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I think what they've got to do here, um, and feel free to give me a call, ITV, because this is this is production gold. <laughs> Manish Manish Basin, Colin Murray, Michelle Owen, presenting team done. Then you get all the right. pundits that you've had on Quest. Fair enough. Intro tune, beautiful day by you two. Everyone's happy. Come on, come, come on. on. That's and how the- you get. That's how you win viewers over. That's how you get them and from quests and coming in. Absolutely, Justin. Absolutely. And uh, if you want any help from the best championship podcast, secondtierpod.com. <laughs> um, Forrest have made a formal complaint to the EFL regarding the decision to postpone last Friday's game against Bournemouth. Sky Sports says Forrest believed the postponement suited Bournemouth, whose squad was severely depleted with seven first-team players injured. Steve Cooper's side were also angry that the game wasn't just played the next day. Instead, Bournemouth say the game was called off because of health and safety reasons and was the decision of the safety and advisory group the EFL is reviewing Forrest's complaints what have you made of this big mudslinging match Justin very quickly I think it's daft I don't think I don't think Forrest should complain I do think there was you know call you know if a safety advisory group is calling the game off I don't think you can argue too much against it I think Forrest should just you know get on with it essentially I know it just make their run of form hard, hard but it makes Bournemouth's run of games even harder um, so I don't think it suits Bournemouth at all and you've got to put fans into uh, into perspective here and, and and say look if the game wasn't fit to play at that stadium then it wasn't fit to play at the stadium because as I say safety of supporters is paramount in this situation not blaming Bournemouth not blaming Forest for the game being called off but as I say I think the, I think the complaint's a bit too too much yeah I <laughs> don't particularly agree with Forrester. I think saying seven first team players missing isn't really a thing because Bournemouth, Bournemouth have such a big yeah, squad. Exactly. Exactly. I don't yeah. think it really affects them at all. And plus Bournemouth have just what they've won three games in a row, haven't they, heading into this game. Yeah. So I d I don't think it really suits them at all. I think it was just the the only thing that irked me was the fact it was called off so late in the day, but I don't think there's any sinister doing from Bournemouth here at all so it's all very strange but it is interesting that the game is now going to be played on Tuesday the 3rd of May which is just before the final day of the season um, that's interesting because Bournemouth's final nine games are ridiculous absolutely ridiculous so unless Bournemouth build up a nice points gap between them and uh, the rest of the promotion chasing teams then that could be a very interesting final nine games of the season the deadline is now passed for formal bids to buy Derby County the club's administrators are expected to name a preferred bidder by the weekend so we'll keep monitoring that Jaden Bogle and David McGoldrick are set to miss the rest of the season for Sheffield United they've suffered a knee and thigh injury respectively and both need surgery I think Bogle's the bigger loss out of those two Justin Mm. I was very impressed with him in the few weeks before he got injured in particular and he's been very very good under Paul Heckingbottom but uh, certainly big losses without a doubt yeah. Hall's owner Akun Ilakali says they will have money to spend on transfers this summer but the only big fees will be spent on strikers speaking to the BBC <laughs> he says he wants a striker as ruthless in front of goal as NBA star Stephen Curry um, is it Stephen Curry? Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry. That's it. Steph Stephen Curry. doesn't sound. Stephen doesn't no. sound as cool. Hi, I'm Stephen Curry. I'm the one of the best basketball <laughs> players Steph ever. 
think yeah, it is Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry. <laughs> um, he wants a striker as ruthless in front of goal as NBA star Steph Curry is from outside the arc. Um, whatever that means. I think at the moment they just need to make sure they're 100% in the championship next season, first of all, don't they? And then former Bournemouth midfielder Jack Wilshire has gone to Denmark to play for AGF Aarhus. Um, I only included that, Justin, because I thought if there was any player that Derby were going to sign once they were allowed to sign players, then Jack Wilshire may have been one of those players because he was linked with Derby back in the summer once he before they had mm-hmm. a transfer embargo. So, yeah, just thought I'd include it. Apart from that, I've got nothing else to say on the matter. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. I've just got to do... All I've got to do is just guess who it is. Um, the score is 10-8 to myself for the season. So a chance for me to regain my three-point lead. I got my first one wrong two weeks ago. I'm keen for that not to be the case again here. So Justin, can I have the first clue, please? I've made 260 appearances, scoring 68 goals. My head's not in the game here at all. Um, I've been rattled by Steph Curry. Uh, what Steve, is it? Two hundred and sixty. Stephen Curry, sixty goals. Um, so just over four a game. Um, One in four, hmm. not four a game. If it was four a game, it'd be Mitrovic. What we say? You know what I mean? Uh, just get in your head, mate. Lee Tomlin. <laughs> no. Uh, I came through at Arsenal before I made my debut at Coventry. Okay, is that so? Is that so? Um, I can't think of any Coventry previous Arsenal strikers. Um, I'll go to the next clue, please, Justin. I had a mixed spell in the Premier League shortly after that where I played for Blackburn on loan and Charlton. Okay. Um, Blackburn and Charlton? Nobody is coming to mind at all. I'm going to throw a random name out there, which I'm pretty sure isn't right, and say Sean Barlow. No, it isn't. I had a a feeling you were going to pull a name out of your arse again. I was about to throw my laptop out the window. Anyway, I, I then played for England in 2010, so I have one cap for England. What? Hang on a second. Right. Jay Bothroyd? Oh, that, I, I, I completely faff that. It is yeah, Jay you, Bothroyd. You put, you put the England, you put the England cap too early there. I have, I have. I, no, it's, I should have worded it differently. I really should have worded it differently. And yeah. oh, well, when you say that. England cap that early on, Justin, that narrows it down to a certain group of players. <clears throat> My next yeah, guess well, was either going to be Dave Nugent or somebody else, but Bothroyd was the only one who ticked any boxes. Yeah. Well, the final two clues are pretty good. Go on. But I thought, this, I thought the second clue actually was a big giveaway. Uh, anyway, I had a very productive strike partnership at a certain side before moving to Japan and retiring there. So he's okay. partnership with, with Chopra for Cardiff. Yep, I, didn't yeah, wanna, yeah. I didn't want to say it because it was easy. And uh, during my time in Italy, I befriended then Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi's third son, Al Saudi Gaddafi. In, in, in October 2011, shortly after the dictator's death, I spoke to the Daily Telegraph about his experience with uh, with Al Saudi's friend. Brilliant. 
Fantastic, Justin. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite. I, I think I'd have got that because J, it has very renowned, uh, yeah, renowned you, that you, Jay you put England cap, England cap way too early there. To be fair, I had no clue he played for Arsenal, Coventry, Blackburn, or Charlton. That completely yeah. passed me by. But England cap, I narrowed it down straight away. But there we go. 11 8 to myself for the season. Now, my three point lead is back and I'm going to cherish it for the remainder of the season uh, but otherwise ladies and gentlemen this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games in the championship some big big fixtures in the championship as we head towards the business end of the season um, otherwise it's been the second tier Justin Peach I hope you feel better by Sunday um, I can't do with any more of your sniffing down the microphone straight <laughs> into my ears it's not very pleasant at all uh, but yeah we'll be back again on Sunday I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach Thank you for listening. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday, your team's playing away from home and you can't go. You're sat there wanting to watch your championship side play, but you can't get it on your telly. Well, fear no more, dear listener. Why not try NordVPN? NordVPN lets you access content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location. So essentially, your internet will think you're abroad and that means you can get access to the 3pm Saturday games from the comfort of your own living room. It's not just football, you can do it with streaming services as well. For example, I was on Canadian Netflix the other day and was watching the Shawshank Redemption. You can't get that on streaming services here. It's also useful for cybersecurity when you're on the move too. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs the same as a cup of coffee each month, so why not give it a go right now?